Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the third session of the Return of the King class. Today, in a Europe-friendly hour, uh, Yana, you, you you definitely had my my uh, quote of the day today. Uh, my favorite quote on uh, <laughs> on Facebook uh, when you responded when you responded uh, to my post by saying, "This is my hour." Uh, that was uh, that was very well done, Yana. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so hi, everybody in Europe who's not sleeping in the middle of the night, um, and thanks to everybody else who also could make it um, uh, at, uh, at, uh, at, at this different, at least, hour today. Well, <clears throat> I want to uh, jump straight in today because I have to uh, end a little bit sooner than I often do, uh, because one... Uh, complication of the Europe-friendly Europe hour is that it also means I have to stop in order to feed my children. Uh, so, um, rather than them being in uh, them uh, being in bed. So, yes, uh, and we are, Yana, as you point out, behind already. Um, so this is what I'm going to do today. Today I'm going to start off with the despair of Denethor, and then I'm going to circle back around uh, to some of the stuff from the Battle of Pelennor Field that I was wanting to look at last time. In particular, um, this stuff that I ended with, where we were, I was going to go on and talk about the wind from the sea and the change in the wind uh, that gets emphasized on so many different occasions there in chapters five and six. Um, but as I said, I want to I want to come back at it uh, from the uh, point of view of chapter seven, actually, which I think, you know, sometimes when uh, these little changes in schedule come around, you end up uh, you end up seeing different things. So, uh, so I think it's kind of cool. Anyway, that's the plan tonight. So, Denethor. Okay. Denethor started as one waking from a trance, and the flame died in his eyes, and he wept, and he said, Do not take my son from me. He calls for me. He calls, said Gandalf, but you cannot come to him yet, for he must seek healing on the threshold of death, and maybe find it not, whereas your part is to go out to the battle of your city, where maybe death awaits you. This you know in your heart. He will not wake again, said Denethor. Battle is vain. Why should we wish to live longer? Why should we not go to death side by side? Authority is not given to you, steward of Gondor, to order the hour of your death, answered Gandalf. And only the heathen kings, under the domination of the dark power, did thus, slaying themselves in pride and despair, murdering their kin to ease their own death. Okay. Um, let's sort of look at some of the issues involved here. I want to, um, you know, it's, it's sort of easy to pick out one or two, you know, famous speeches, especially, of course, the, the pride and despair speech from Denethor. We'll get there. Um, but I don't just want to kind of cherry pick this. I want to I look at a, a bunch of Denethor's sayings in order to try to make sure that we're really understanding the context of what's going on with him. Because I think that it, it's, it, it's it, it can be easy to sort of make some... Uh, misunderstandings about Denethor. Um, uh, Ed has a really good question to start off with, and Ed, I think I'll, I'll use your question as a launching off point, because it's a very good question to ask, and I'd be interested to hear what you guys have to say about this, actually. So feel free to type answers to Ed's question. Ed's question is, why is Denethor's suicide not permitted, but Aragorn's, in Appendix A, uh, uh, his, his, his suicide, his submission to death, is allowed? That is, one could argue that both Denethor and Aragorn in Gandalf's phrase, order the hour of their death. 
Why is it okay for Aragorn, but not okay for Denethor? Um, yeah, yeah. Ed wants to characterize Aragorn's death as committing suicide. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd go all the way with you there, Ed. Uh, but uh, but I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Um, uh, certainly both of them are choosing and embracing death, right? That, I think, you know, even if we uh, sort of take out inflammatory, you know, sort of potentially inflammatory or emotional language, both of them are choosing death, right? Both of them are um, not just accepting death when it comes, because Aragorn could have stayed alive longer, right? That's clear, and that's clear, especially in the context of Appendix A, having just described this process with Numenor, right? So, and we've just gotten the stuff about the Numenorians uh, and how they um, clung to life. Um, so it is clear in that sense that Aragorn is choosing death is, uh, in, in, in a way that I agree with that, is like, in, in, you know, at least in superficial ways, like Denethor's. What's the difference? What's the difference? Um, okay. Uh, Chris says, Aragorn is merely accepting his end, as a Chris Lawson, merely accepting his end rather than ending it prematurely. Well, yes, though, as I say, I, I think it's pretty clear from the evidence, the Numenorean kings, when they ceased... Um, you know, willingly submitting to death and begun to cling to life, they, they, their lives continued. Now, the span of their lives did get shorter over time, um, but, but from the context, I do take it that if Aragorn were making another choice at that point, if he were deciding to go, you know, the latter Numenorean route, he could have clung to life and lived longer. I don't know how, how much longer, maybe, maybe a few years, but even if it's only one day, if he could live longer and instead is embracing death, then you can say he's willfully shortening his life. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> Morgan says Aragorn doesn't need a torch to do it, uh, which, is, which is a funny way to say it, Morgan, but I, I see your point, right? There's... Um, you know, there is clearly a big difference between one person who is, you know, to uh, to use the biblical phrase, old and full of years, um, you know, someone who is whose life has come to its end naturally, and the other who is uh, using a weapon, be it fire or something else, to extinguish the life within them. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think there's, there clearly does um, point to something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Diego makes an interesting distinction. Diego says that Denethor is not embracing death. He's trying to escape. Uh, he's, he's, he's embracing escape, not embracing death. Well, I see what you mean, I think. Problem is... The way he talks about it sounds like he's embracing death, right? He says, you know, why should we not go to death side by side? He's, he's, he's going to death, right? Um, he's, so he's embracing it, right? Now, Diego, I'm not, ultimately, I, I don't think I disagree with you. I agree that there is something in Denethor here that even though he's using a similar, similar words, even though he's using similar language um, in talking about going to death, um, he does not, in fact, have the same attitude towards death that Aragorn has, and I think Gandalf's response shows that, right? 
Gandalf is basically... I was, I was about to say calling his bluff, and that's not at all the right image. Gandalf is puncturing Denethor's illusions here, um, as he seems to be... Uh, Gandalf seems to me to be implying that Denethor is deceiving himself, right? Um, he, Denethor, is speaking as if he is showing solidarity with his son. Why should we not go to death side by side, right? The two of us should stay together, and we will face death together. That sounds generous. That sounds like it's based on um, love and community. You know, the, it's, it's, it's a reflection of the bond between them, right? That's the language that he's using. Gandalf punctures that and says... Uh, and characterizes it rather as slaying himself in despair and murdering his kin to ease his own death. To ease his own death, right? Um, it's Gandalf's implication there is that, no, Denethor, you're not going to death willingly. Um, you are fearing death, and in order to make your death easier for yourself, you're going to murder your kin. Um, and that's uh, that's... Very different from how Denethor is describing it, right? Uh, now, maybe Gandalf's wrong, um, but I tend to not think so. Um, Chris Lawson uh, further says, Aragorn is accepting his fate while Denethor is railing against it. Yes, I agree. And Carolyn also is saying, uh, Aragorn is submitting uh, and Denethor is ordering that that is their deaths. Um, yes, yes. Rebecca has uh, an interesting... Um, Twist on that, Aragorn's death is surrendered to the will of Iluvatar and accepting the gift, gift of death. Uh, he is given authority to order the hour, whereas Denethor is not. Um, and that is that is an interesting point, actually. Um, authority is not given to you, Steward of Gondor, to order the hour of your death. Uh, there is some implication that authority was given to the kings of Numenor to order their own deaths, um, and that Aragorn is... is uh, falling in line with that. Um, Tom, uh, the way Tom says it, Tom Hillman says that, uh, you know, uh, Aragorn is accepting the inevitable, um, whereas Denethor is is not. Aragorn submits in the proper time to a natural process. Um, yes, yes. Good, good. Um, very good. Um, Kay asks, is it connected uh, with the completion of their responsibilities as steward and king? Retirement versus quitting and leaving a mess behind. Um, y- yes, yes. Um, you know, Aragorn is leaving his throne to his son uh, and all in order. Um, that is to say, his duties are completed. Um, he can go into retirement now um, knowing that his, you know, he has run the race, he has completed the course, he's done. Um, however, Denethor, as Gandalf also points out, is emphatically not doing that. Your part is to go out to the battle of your city where maybe death awaits you. Um, you hear and hear almost a kind of echo of Eowyn's words to Aragorn at the Paths of the Dead. You notice that parallel, right? Where Eowyn says, I'm not telling you to, to flee death, right? It's like, I was just saying, don't throw your life, go, go into battle. Um, but don't throw your life away on this stupid thing. Don't go to the paths of the dead, right? Don't commit suicide. Go out into battle where maybe you'll die, but you'll die gloriously, right? Um, Gandalf says a parallel thing. It's not the same, but he says a parallel thing here. Um, yeah, well, you know, he said, look, I'm not saying flee death. Go, maybe, you'll, maybe you'll find death, 
Um, but you need to fulfill your role. And if death comes to you in the course of that, then okay. But um, in st- but the fact that Denethor's uh, the 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 flaws of Denethor's choice are strongly emphasized by the fact that his seeking of death is done um, as an act of abdication of the duties that he has to do. Um, he is being, in that sense, extremely, um, extremely selfish, extremely self-oriented. Um, yeah, good. Uh, Alyssa was, uh, was just saying exactly the same thing. Of course, I read your comments so slowly. Often several of you will make a very similar comment within like, uh, you know, 90 to 100 seconds of each other, and I won't see them at the same time. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, Alyssa is pointing out, also, again, the, the difference between the responsibility done versus undone. I think that's a really important cue that we get, uh, we get in this, in this, in this passage. Um, yes, yes. Um, yeah, Mark points out that Aragorn says, to me has been given the grace, uh, to do this. Yeah, and again, that's what's what I was referring to, uh, Mark, when I was talking about the, the authority, uh, of the Numenorean kings. Grace is given to them, in fact, um, to order the hour of their own, or the hour of their own deaths, in that sense. Um, yeah, good, exactly what Mark was saying there, yes, good, good, um, yeah, Andrew points out that he's taking the easy way out. He is a steward and should be doing his duty, not finding escape, which would bestow on him the fate of men beyond the circles of the world. Yes, good, good. Um, yes. Um, very good, very good. Um, very good. Mark, I hope to... Uh, we don't have time. That's a big topic you're just bringing up here. It's related, I see, but um, I hope to come back to that uh, in a later class. Um, that's a really good point. Um, Mark asks... I'll, I'll tell you what the question is, so as not to be cryptic about it. Um, he's asking, why does Gandalf vanquish despair and bring hope to Theoden, but not to Denethor? You've got two rulers, both of whom are in a cloud of despair. Um Gandalf helps one and not the other. Why not? What's the difference? Great question. Love to talk about it. Not right now. We'll come back to that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, very good. Um, okay. Yeah, so, so again, the other things that I would point to here in this passage, the other things that I think are important. Um, battle is vain... Why should we wish to... Look at the sort of the sequence of his statements. He will not make again. Battle is vain. And notice there's there's, there's almost a kind of um, indeterminacy about that second sentence. That is, what's he referring to? Uh, presumably, the battle in the city, right? It, the battle against Sauron is vain. But that's not the immediate context of the sentence, right? He will not wake again. Battle is vain. Battle for Faramir's life, right? That's what Gandalf has just referred to. He must seek healing on the threshold of death and maybe find it not. That too will be a battle. And indeed, uh, in the next chapter, we will see uh, Aragorn fighting that kind of a battle against death and recalling Faramir's spirit. Um, so again, I think that there's, there's a kind of, there's a kind of ambiguity there, but again, it's, 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 
In Denethor's mind, it seems, the two things are linked. He has given up on both. He believes, now, that it is impossible for them to defeat Sauron, or even to survive this assault, and he believes that Faramir will not recover. Why should we wish to live longer? Notice now where it goes. Why should we wish to live longer? Um, he's not even saying... Uh, that's a step beyond, I don't think we're going to live any longer, right? Even if we could, why should we, right? Why should we drag this out? What's the point of dragging this out? Um, why should we even fight? Why should we not go to death side by side? Why should we not... So, in his saying, his say, talking about going to death side by side, which, phrase by itself, can sound beautiful and noble, right? Go... Let us go to death side by side. You can imagine two people in a different context um, saying that in a way which wouldn't be bad, right? Um, I mean, th that is, again, uh, you know, he didn't say this, but had Aemir turned to, you know, one of the other marshals at his side uh, on that little hill on the Pelennor Field and said, you know, let us go, uh, let us go to death side by side, that wouldn't have sounded wrong, right? We talked about how you know Aemir has that moment of despair. We were comparing Aemir's despair with Denethor's despair in the last class. Um, it's not that Aemir's outlook is more cheerful <laughs> or optimistic than Denethor's, exactly. Um, but again, the, in, in its context, what Denethor is saying here is not a noble thing. It's not about facing death at all. It's about fleeing from life. It's about turning his back on, uh, uh, not just on the battle, but on even living itself. Why should we wish to live longer? Why should we prolong things? What is the point? Uh, presumably, even if that could work. Um, that's interesting. Noam says, Denethor makes life a means and not an end. That's interesting. Um... That's an interesting way to think about that. Um, and, it, and the question would be, what is his end? What is his goal? Um, because that, of course, is the question, right? The question is, why bother? Why fight? Um, life is hard, especially, you know, on this day, in this hour, that this story is describing. <clears throat> Life is not much fun, right? Um, this is an uphill struggle. Why do it? Um, what exactly is Denethor turning away from? What was he trying to go to before? Well, let's look at an earlier passage and thinking about that. This is near, this is of course the first day of Pippin's official service of Denethor. You shall wait on me, bear errands, and talk to me, if war and council give me any leisure. Can you sing? Yes, said Pippin. Well, yes, well enough for my own people. But we have no songs fit for great halls and evil times, lord. We seldom sing of anything more terrible than wind or rain. And most of my songs are about things that make us laugh, or about food and drink, of course. And why such, should such songs be unfit for my halls, or for such hours as these? We who have lived long under the shadow may surely listen to echoes from a land untroubled by it. 
then we may feel that our vigil was not fruitless, though it may have been thankless. Pippin's heart sank. He did not relish the idea of singing any song of the Shire to the Lord of Minas Tirith, certainly not the comic ones that he knew best. They were too, well, rustic for such an occasion. He was, however, spared the ordeal for the present. He was not commanded to sing. Now, I find this a uh, fascinating question, because uh, a fascinating passage, rather, uh, because I think it shows us some things about Denethor and about his priorities that we don't just see, that we don't see if we only look at the the, the later passages, um, you know, when he's sort of standing astride his pyre there. Um, and again, the question that I want to come to, the question that we left the other passage with and that I, that I, that I came to this passage with was, what's he, what's he doing? What's he out for? What is his priority? What is his goal? What is his end? Um, what do we learn about him here? Um, I think this is a fascinating passage in part because we have a very direct contrast available to us. A couple potential contrasts, right? We see Denethor interacting with Pippin and talking about the Shire and Shire culture sort of in relationship with himself and with Minas Tirith. We have at least two other parallel cases, right? If we discount Gandalf as somebody else who's come, you know, coming into contact with Shire culture, I don't see why we necessarily should, but I want to. Um, there are two others, not even counting Gandalf, that I'm thinking of. Daniel Morris has, certainly has one of them, Theoden also. Yes, um, the, that's the first thing, Daniel, that comes to my mind, is the parallel between Denethor's relationship with, P- with Pippin and Theoden's relationship with Mary. The two of them form a clear contrast, right? I mean, it's the, the kind of parallel careers of Mary and Pippin in consecutive chapters kneeling down and presenting their swords and swearing uh, fealty to a different king, right? Both of them have, um, I, I, you know, it's it, it's certainly impossible for me not to be comparing and contrasting. And remember, what's the premise? What is the initial connection? Um, the sort of, I would almost say, the initial point of the relationship between Mary and Theoden. The point is not right. The initial grounds, that's better. The initial grounds of the relationship between Mary and Theoden. Well, it's, remember, Theoden's politeness in saying that he would quite like to hear Mary talking about his herb lore, right, and the small doings of his fathers and grandfathers um, and cousins to the ninth degree, right? all that stuff that, you know, Gandalf uh, is making jokes about that. Um, and uh, Theoden, of course, is apologetic to Mary that, you know, they're not going to be able to sit in his hall and, uh, you know, tell stories at leisure in the way that he had hoped to, that he had, uh, that he had been wanting to. Um, so again, we have both of them, you know, in these moments of interaction, we see sort of their attitudes towards both the hobbits personally and sort of the hobbit culture more generally. But obviously with those two, the contrasts are very clear, right? They're very apparent. Um, as Rebecca Hunt says, Denethor's attitude is patronizing and insulting. Theoden chooses to take joy from the simplicity of the hobbits. Denethor doesn't want to hear it. He wants to wallow in the darkness. Yeah, uh, Rebecca, that is to me the 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 single most telling thing. Um, the sentence in this passage that I am most interested in, in a way, is the last one. 
he was not commanded to sing, right? The attitude that Denethor takes towards his singing, the sort of almost, I am tempted to call them snarky remarks that Denethor makes uh, to Pippin um, when Pippin is worried about singing, um, are, I think, even less revealing than the fact that Denethor doesn't even bother. He clearly doesn't actually intend to ask Pippin to sing, certainly not about any of these things. So Pippin says... It doesn't seem appropriate, right? I don't. We don't have songs fit for great halls and evil times. We are a simple people, and we sing simple songs and we about things that make us laugh and about food and drink. And he says, "Why should such songs be unfit for my halls? Uh, we who have long lived, who have lived long under the shadow, may surely listen to echoes from a land untroubled by it." Okay, stop there for a second. Yes. We who have lived long under the shadow may surely listen to echoes from a land untroubled by it. Yes, indeed. And in fact, that might be a really good idea. In fact, uh, you know, Minas Tirith would be improved by more Hobbit songs. In fact, if more people were engaged in drinking songs at any given time in Minas Tirith, it would be a merrier place. And indeed, remember, that's Legolas, very like Legolas's response to it. He's like, there's there's not enough growing things here. Right? There's not enough in Minas Tirith that is glad. It needs more gladness, right? So he, he, he hopes to come back with some of his kinsmen and kind of jazz it up later on. They also clearly need more pub songs. That's, that's also very clear, right? Um, yes, it is good for those who have lived long under the shadow to listen to the echoes from a land untroubled by it. The other parallel, of course, I was thinking, I've left that behind now. I said there were two parallels. One is Theoden and Mary. The other is Aragorn. Um, who is also parallel, I think, to um, to Denethor in this in this uh, hour. And yeah, Alyssa, you were thinking of the same thing. Um, uh, thinking uh, as uh, Alyssa says of the rangers ceaselessly guarding. Yeah, remember Halberd's comment about this: a worthy folk are the you know the, uh, a, a worthy people are the Shire folk, right? Of great worth, he says. Um, and he, you know, he, he he thinks that all of their efforts in guarding their borders, you know, has been has been well worth it. Halberd appreciates that, right? Um, Halberd, in that moment, gives like a little glimpse of Minas Tirith, Minas Tirith with more pub songs, right? Um, it is good for those who live long under the shadow uh, to listen to echoes from a land untroubled by it. That, in a in a way of saying it, is one of the things that the Shire has to offer to Middle Earth. Um, one of the reasons that it is a really important place, one of the reasons why it is, as Gandalf hints in that one f- fairly cryptic passage, a kind of stronghold. Remember, he's listing places that are that that are sort of strongholds holding out against the darkness, and he mentions, you know, Lothlorien, and he, you know, he mentions Rivendell. He says there's there's power of a kind too in the Shire. Um, the, the, the Shire is a kind of stronghold um, of light and of joy. But, um, and again, Halberd sees it and appreciates it. The rangers are down with that. Denethor is not. Look where he goes. Um, had he stopped there, he'd have been fine. Then we may feel that our vigil was not fruitless, though it may have been thankless. See what that betrays? His previous question, you know, or semi-question, we may surely listen to echoes from a land untroubled by it, shows not an insight into the fact that doing so would be good for him in some sense, uh, refreshing, useful, um, helpful, good. No, instead, 
he's just thinking about himself. He's not thinking about the Shire at all. Um, we may feel that our vigil was not fruitless. Actually, it's all about us, right? It's all about, it's all about for him, it seems, all about me. Um, when I think of, when he thinks about the Shire and the, uh, how untroubled the Shire is, he's thinking not about the Shire, but he's thinking about himself. He's thinking about his own land. Um, yeah, that's thanks to our work, which they haven't thanked us for. Remember again, Aragorn talking about this, um, uh, about the comments he makes back in the Council of Elrond about Butterbur, right? Um, that uh, he's given scornful names by, uh, you know, a strider he is to a fat man in Bree uh, who, you know, lives a day's march from foes that would freeze his heart if he weren't guarded, you know, and, and you know, would would destroy uh, would destroy them if they were they weren't guarded with Cecil's vigilance. Um, but if simple people are left free from care, simple they will be. Right again, Aragorn, the Rangers, they get it. Um, Denethor doesn't get it, uh, and I think that this is something that's revealing and I believe very relevant to. Um, what we see in him later on, this tendency to elevate himself. And not just himself, but his land as well. I mean, the way, and especially given the way that he identifies the two of them mm-hmm. in some ways. Um, but um, we would enjoy, I would, I would like to listen to Echoes from a Land because that would make me feel good about myself, right? It would make me think with satisfaction about the excellent job we've done keeping vigil even though nobody thanked us for it. But then he doesn't ask for a song, right? Even that uh, sort of self-absorbed pleasure, he doesn't take. Um, he talks about it, but uh, but he doesn't command Pippin to sing, after all. Um, yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah. Morgan says, uh, it's ironic that in the films, Pippin sings about the saddest song ever. I agree, Morgan. There are things that I like about Pippin's song in the film. I think that that scene works really well because of the way, given the shifts that they've made in Denethor's character and in the whole flow of the action at that point, um, the sort of elegiac element in Pippin's song, you know, the way that he is singing like a funeral song for the Knights of Gondor who are dying as he sings, um, is uh, is beautiful and it, it it's it works very well. But again, that's given already that all of this stuff has been shifted. <clears throat> um, so, so I agree. Morgan, ironic is exactly what I would call that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Noam Weiss says, uh, asks, why does Denethor demote songs to echoes? Um, yeah, that is a good question. I hadn't thought of that, Noam, but you're absolutely right. Um, surely listen to echoes from a land untroubled by it. Pippin could respond by saying, no, I'll, I'll sing right here in the room if you want. I mean, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, you're not going to just hear an echo. You'll hear me, in fact. Um, and uh, and you're right, Noam. I mean, there's... Uh, I hadn't thought of that, but when you think about that, it does demote, I would even say degrade, Pippin himself and his songs. Um, he is a representative of that land. In hearing his songs and the songs of the Shire, 
he, and so in a sense, he's hearing echoes in that he's not actually hearing, you know, the shot. Like it's not like he's witnessing the show. It's not like he's actually going to see the land, uh, which uh, is untroubled by the shadow. Um, but still, he w- he could, as Theoden sort of, in a sense, is choosing. Theoden is, is saying, you know, I would love to hear more. I would love to hear about your family. I would love to hear you tell the history of pipe smoking. Um, I am interested to, uh, you know, with you as representative, you sort of come in contact with, you know, your people and your history and your culture. I, you know, Theoden really seems to embrace that. Um, there's a degrading, again, to use that word again, um, in what Denethor is doing here, right? If you sang one of your songs to me, it would just be an echo from this foreign land. It gives it a kind of unreality, right? Pippin would be like, no, darn it, I'm here as an actual representative of one of those lands. Um, it's not just an echo. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, interesting. Timothy is wondering, Timothy Fisher is wondering if uh, by echoes he's thinking of, uh, again, sort of again self-referentially, echoes of, of, of us Gondorians, you know, that it's just as we are from Numenor and everything, all, you know, culture and, and, and peace kind of descends from us, you know, that you are our sort of uh, kind of, uh, you know, descendants or echoes and, in, in, you know, sort of shadows of us in that sense. Maybe, maybe... Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I would hear it that way, um, though. Yeah, possibly, possibly. Um, yeah, Noam says I think that for Denethor only Gondor is real, so everything else is an echo. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, good. Carolyn points out that Denethor is not actually protecting the Shire in the sense that the Rangers are, right? The Rangers are there, they're like, the Shire is there. We need to protect it. Uh, Carolyn says Denethor is not protecting the Shire out of the goodness of his heart. He's protecting Minas Tirith. Um, he's indirectly helping the Shire and thinking he should get credit. Um, yeah, he'd be doing what he's doing despite whether or not the Shire was there or not, which again is not what you, know, which you, which you couldn't say about the, um, about the, the Rangers. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, good. Um, yeah, cool. Um, Mark, Mark Shenham points out, um, in thinking back to the the Deadwood burning and the discussion of the that uh, Rohiric song that we uh, talked about in the Two Towers course. Who shall gather the smoke of the dead wood burning, or recall the flowing years from the seas returning? And Mark says, well, one potential answer to that question is songs. Songs are the only thing that, in a sense, gather the smoke of the dead wood burning. Um, and uh, Denethor uh, is soon uh, to be himself burned and dispersed in this way, and it's unwise of him to speak slightingly of songs um, and to ignore them. Um, that's an interesting point, Mark. I hadn't thought about that. Um, yeah, good. Good, okay. Um, 
Yeah, Rachel Barton makes an interesting point. So I find it interesting that Pippin by now is very aware of the unfitness of his songs for this place. I think the thip, I think the Pippin in the Fellowship would not have thought about whether or not his songs were appropriate. Um, yeah, I, I do think we could look at this passage sort of asking a completely different set of questions. That is, if we came to this passage thinking about Pippin uh, and about his... Uh, um, his uh, his his sort of growth and his his character. I agree, Rachel. I think that we would see some some interesting shifts uh, from from earlier on. Well, in the context of this, now let's let's go back to the pyre. Then suddenly Denethor laughed. He stood up tall and proud again, and stepping swiftly back to the table, he lifted it from the, he lifted from it the pillow on which he had his head. Sorry, I'll come in again. He stood up tall and proud again, and stepping swiftly back to the table, he lifted from it the pillow on which his head had lain. Then coming to the doorway, he threw aside the covering, and lo, he had between his hands a palantir. And as he held it up, it seemed to those that looked on the... Um, and as he held it up, it seemed to those that looked on that the globe began to glow with an inner flame, so that the lean face of the Lord was lit as with a red fire, and it seemed cut out of hard stone, sharp with black shadows, noble, proud, and terrible. His eyes glittered. Pride and despair, he cried. Didst thou think the eyes of the White Tower were blind? Nay, I have seen more than thou knowest, grey fool, for thy hope is but ignorance. Go then and labor in healing. Go forth and fight. Vanity. For a little space you may triumph on the field, for a day. But against the power that now arises, there is no victory. To this city only the first finger of its hand has yet been stretched. All the east is moving, and even now the wind of thy hope cheats thee and wafts up Anduin a fleet with black sails. The west has failed. It is time for all to depart who would not be slaves. Such counsels will make the enemy's victory certain indeed, said Gandalf. Okay, first off, um, notice here um, the relationship between the description that we get in the first paragraph and the speech that we get in the second paragraph. Um, Here we have another example of one of those moments where uh, through his description, in this case not of landscape, but of, 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 of a person, he is setting us, setting us up. He's, he's sort of prompting us, cueing us um, for what is going to come later. Um, in a sense, you could say that almost everything that Denethor is going to go on to say in that paragraph is already implied in the description the lean face of the Lord was lit as with a red fire, and it seemed cut out of hard stone, sharp with black shadows, noble, proud, and terrible. His eyes glittered. That description uh, really contains a lot of these ideas, um, and it evokes these ideas in a much more uh, in a much more poetic fashion. Right, we're not being told exactly what he's thinking and what's going on within him. Um, but again, with the description, we don't uh, exactly need to be told. Rebecca Hunt is right that uh, this is a very poetic description. It, look at all of the alliteration. This is what Rebecca is emphasizing in her comment uh, that we can see there. The lean face of the Lord was lit, um, uh, uh, sharp with black shadows. Um, the globe began to glow. Uh, we got uh, we a bunch of those 
uh, sort of techniques that he's using. This is not a literative verse, right? He doesn't actually go into a literative verse, but he often uses these kinds of um, these kinds of poetic uh, techniques. Um, yeah, Luke really likes the. Uh, um, well, and of course, Andrew is pointing out the and lo, right? We we get a we get a what in the middle of that paragraph, right? Um, just in case we weren't already thinking, or rather, to put us into the mode of, uh, or as a sort of uh, little um, some alliterative uh, some alliterative verse esque description is about to be forthcoming, right? I've given you a a a, a warning what uh, to, uh, to 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 let you know about that. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Good. Um, Yes, Kay, I was also thinking the same thing. Kay is pointing to the almost a deliberate echo of Saruman against the power that now arises. There is no victory. Um, uh, The West has failed. Remember, that's exactly what Saruman said to Gandalf in the conversation Gandalf reports to the Council of Elrond, right? Um, You know, against the new power, you know, the old policies will not avail us. There is no hope in in elves or in dying Numenor. Um, This is... A, a very similar message to the one that Saruman was saying, and obviously, I think you know the Palantir connection uh, is another is something which really does compel us. I think to compare Saruman and Denethor. I'm not planning to spend an enormous amount of time on that particular comparison tonight, though. Again, I think the story really suggests it richly. Um, I do think, though, that it suggests a similar conclusion, or rather a, sim- a, a kind of a likeness between the two of them. Denethor and Saruman are not identical. Um, it, I think, would be rash uh, and missing a lot of the subtleties here to simply lump Denethor and Saruman into the same category. Remember, as is demonstrated by the different relationships they had with Sauron through the Palantir, the, the, the way that the, the way that that their, you know, the Palantir that each was using. Um, that how they acted differently through it, how Sauron acted upon them through it differently, um, shows that they were not in exactly the same position and they weren't responding in exactly the same way. Um, also, in a sense, though they both deliver this same line, Denethor buys it and Saruman doesn't. Saruman is lying, right? Or rather, at least he is deceiving, or attempting to deceive Gand- Gandalf, um, or at least to manipulate him. Um, Denethor believes it. He believes this. Um, his despair is, in that sense, quite genuine and honestly is, is, is certainly an honestly held opinion on Denethor's part. Um, he shows genuine conviction of his beliefs uh, in the fact that they that they have no hope of victory. Whereas Saruman, of course, the whole time is hoping for victory. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, um... Okay, good. See, uh, Alyssa says, uh, there's a second instance of Denethor employing slippage of topics. Uh, That is in the way that you say, you know, uh, that uh, slipping between the healing of Faramir and the battle is before us. I I think what Alyssa's referring back to. Go then and labor in the healing. Gandalf had separated the two, healing and the battle of the city. Um... 
Yes, yes, and again, you're right, Alyssa. We see Denethor again lumping the two of them together. Um, go then in labor in the in healing. Go forth and fight. Um, yeah, he does seem in his mind those two things are those ting- two things are very similar. And again, I think you can see um, a sense in which he is, you know, he's 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 clearly giving up both fights at the same time. He believes that both battles, both the battle for Faramir's life and the battle for Minas Tirith, are both equally hopeless in the way in which he is thinking of the word hope. Um, yeah. Um, anyway. Okay. Um... Well, I was just talking about the way he uses the word hope. How does he use the word hope? What does he show about his understanding of hope uh, in this paragraph? I think it's a very important thing. It comes back to the bigger question that I was asking before. What does hope mean to Denethor? Andrew, I agree. The wind of thy hope cheats thee is, is a very good line. That sentence is so rich with irony on so many levels. Um, It's amazing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. To have hope, if you ask Denethor to define hope, or rather if we try to formulate a definition of hope based on Denethor's statements, um, what what does it mean? What is it? Thy hope is but ignorance, he says. Um, if you have... Because of your insufficient information, Gandalf, you think you can win. You are continuing to fight because you believe that you might accomplish something by fighting. You believe a good outcome to this situation is possible by our actions. I'm telling you, it's not. We cannot possibly achieve victory um, if you think so. You, you think you apparently think so because you're carrying on fighting, right? But your hope is but ignorance. In other words, his definition of hope is... Yeah, it, it, Mark says it it's you know some rational balance of probability, um, yeah. It, Erica Smith says, in a sense, wishful thinking. Yeah, it, it, I would, in the simplest possible way, I would say, hope is belief in a good outcome, right? Optimism, in one popular sense of that word, not in the philosophical sense of that word, um, but uh, but in the. Um, in sort of the popular sense of that word, that is thinking that things are going to, believing that things are going to turn out well, right? That's what hope is. That kind of hope can indeed be destroyed by increased information, right? If you think, well, maybe things will turn out, you know, like for instance, to give a, to give a, 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 a recent um, 
illustration of that. Uh, you may remember a few weeks ago when the baseball playoffs were still going on, there were a couple of occasions on which I was teaching class on a night uh, when uh, the Red Sox, who are my favorite team, were playing a playoff game uh, in the championship series or in the World Series, and I told everybody who was in my class not to tell me what happened in the game because I was recording it and wanted to watch it after class. Um, if, when I begin watching the recording of the game at, you know, 11 o'clock or whatever, I... Uh, of course, everyone else in the world, or most of the people in the world, already knew what happened in the game. Uh, on a night when the Red Sox lost, I would be beginning watching the game with hope that they would win. But that hope would be based on ignorance. If I knew the truth, if I knew what was really going to happen, which in that case, everyone else was in, right? So so I, everyone else was capable of delivering to me a true prophecy of what would occur later on in that recording that I was watching in ignorance, right? Not knowing what happened. Um... In fact, the reason that I didn't want people to tell me what happened in the game is that I wanted to be able to hold on to that hope, right? I didn't want to know in advance that they lost, or I would not have enjoyed watching the game nearly so much, right? But again, had I been informed, actually, they're going to lose. I would have despaired of that game, anyway, because I would have known... Because, in fact, my hope was but ignorance. Um... That's the way Denethor is thinking about hope, right? Denethor is saying, look, I've got the Palantir. I've read the end of the book, right? Um, you know, I've, I've fast-forwarded to the end of the game. I know what's going to happen here. I, I am certain how this is going to turn out. Um, now, of course, he's not claiming to have seen the future, uh, but he believes the future to be certain because he can, he can do the math. Right, he's looking and seeing. I, I have all the information of how things are going. Right, so in that sense, looking ahead to the end of the of the book isn't exactly a right uh, parallel. It would be more like, um, you know, somebody who, you know, if you could only see one small part of the chessboard, you might think you were doing pretty well. But somebody who could see the whole chessboard would know you're going to get checkmated in five moves. Right, that's more the kind of uh, the kind of certainty that Denethor seems to fill here. Um, so, um, <laughs> Kay says he saw a fake spoiler in an online forum. Yeah, something like that. Um, but, now, is, in fact, is hope the reason? Is it true that Gandalf has hope, and that his hope is what is leading him to fight? Yes. Yes, it is. Is Denethor correct in saying that his hope is but ignorance? Well, he is ignorant of some things. There, it, it, It's clear Denethor does indeed have more information than Gandalf has. Gandalf doesn't know the other things that are going on. He's, you know, It is given to him to know things that are going on afar. He's got some of that going on, but he doesn't know... Um, he'd be tempted to look in the Palantir. Why? Because he'd want to check on Frodo, right? He has no idea what's going on with Frodo. And this is, it's, you know, and he's, he's, you know, we see him pacing back and forth at the beginning of book five, saying, where is Faramir? What's going on? He doesn't know, right? There's a lot of stuff that Gandalf doesn't know. So is, is, is Denethor better informed? Yeah, he's better informed. Um, so is he right then? Your hope is but ignorance. Is Gandalf's labor for healing and his fighting vanity, as uh, Denethor says. Now, of course, Denethor is using the word vanity uh, in its in its more archaic sense, not vanity in the sense of uh, 
the way that oh, what's her name? Alyssa, what's the name of the Baggins girl who finds her uh, face comely, uh, to whom Bilbo gives a convex mirror? I'm forgetting the first name of that the Baggins. Angelica, thank you. Alyssa, I knew you'd remember. Um, uh, yes, not the kind of vanity of which Angelica Baggins appears to be being accused uh, in liking to look at herself in the mirror. That's the way that we tend to use the word vanity. Um, Diego is absolutely right. Um, he is using vanity in the sense in which the word vanity is used in the King James translation of Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. That's the way he's using vanity. Mean, if something is vain, it means it is pointless. Um, it's 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 no good. Pointless is the best uh, definition I can think of for vanity in that sense. It's like it's 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 pointless. It's meaningless. Um, you you can't actually accomplish anything. Against the power that now arises, is no, there is no victory. It's time for all to depart who would not be slaves. It is time for all to depart who would not be slaves. Um, he is choosing, right? He's choosing not between victory and defeat, because there is no choice there. There is no option. But he does have a choice about what happens to him in defeat, right? I would much rather take my own life than be kept as a slave, right? Um, then be enthralled and mocked by Sauron in his victory. Um, remember Denethor says something very similar when uh, Pippin fears that Sauron has come himself to uh, uh, to attack Minas Tirith, and uh, Denethor says, no, 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 he will only come to, you know, uh, when his victory is complete, to, 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 to triumph over me then, as if the personal triumph over Denethor is really, like, the main thing on Sauron's mind. Denethor certainly seems to think that it is. Um, Mark is asking, uh, could vanity be, mean, in this sense, given false meaning rather than just being meaningless? I don't think so. No, it's more, I mean, if something is vain, it just means it's, 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 it's no good. It's pointless. It's 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 a waste of time. Um, uh, it's empty, um, and that seems to be the way in which he's. The, in which he's saying. I mean, that's it's the, uh, the it, it, it's connected with the, um, the you know the the bitterness um, and mockery. Of his, you know, go, go then and labor in the healing. Go forth and fight. It doesn't matter, right? It's completely meaningless. But bo, no, by all means, you know, you you do your thing, and you'll soon find out that it's completely pointless. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, that's certainly how I understand him here in this context. Um, but remember, it's not just despair. It is despair. It's pride and despair that Gandalf accuses him of. Um, and we can see him, even, you know, it's time for all to depart who would not be slaves. We can still see him being, in a sense, you know, in this moment of despair, he's not being self-forgetful. Uh, he's be, still being very self-regarding. Um, uh, but anyway, let's, uh, that is becomes even more clear in his, in this, uh, in his last statement here. What then would you have, said Gandalf, if your will could have its way? So here we're getting Gandalf probing to the root of things, right? 
Denethor, what is what really drives you? What is your end? What is your goal? Um, yeah. Tell me, Denethor, what motivates you? I would have things as they were in all the days of my life, answered Denethor, and in the days of my long fathers before me, to be the lord of this city in peace, and to leave my chair to his son after me, who would be his own master and no wizard's pupil. But if doom denies this to me, then I will have naught, neither life diminished, nor love halved, nor honor abated. To me it would not seem that a steward who faithfully surrenders his charge is diminished in love or in, in honor, said Gandalf. And at the least, you shall not rob your son of his choice, while his death is still in doubt. At those words, Denethor's eyes flamed again, and taking the stone under his arm, he drew a knife and strode towards the bier. But Baragon sprang forward and set himself before Faramir. So, cried Denethor, thou hast already stolen half my son's love. Now thou stealest the hearts of my knights also, so that they rob me wholly of my son at the last. But in this at least thou shalt not defy my will, to rule my own end. Okay. So, um, what do we see here? What do we see here? What, so his answer to the question, what would you have if you will? If you could have anything you wanted, Denethor, what would you really want? And his answer, to have things as they were in all the days of my life. If I could have my will, I would resist change. Remember, this is directly, this is what, this is the, 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 the knell of doom that Gandalf sounded when he came to Minas Tirith in the first place, right? And that, uh, and we talked about it back in class one, the kind of casual prophecy that he tosses off uh, to the people at the gate, right? Um, you know, uh, what, whatever betide the you know the the Gondor that you have you know the, the the Gondor that you have known is done right you know the days that you change is coming things will never be again be the same as they once were that's what Denethor really hates right um, he the way that he talks about this in this paragraph he shows it's not just defeat that's the problem right um, if it were merely the fact that he thought certain the city was going to be sacked and destroyed. That would be pretty bad. But what really seems to fuel his despair, as evidenced here in this final statement, and again, too often, I think, a lot of emphasis is, tends to be placed on that first statement, the, um, uh, the, the you know, against uh, the, the power that now arises, there is no victory part. But notice what he confesses here. That's only half the problem. He is in despair. The cause of his despair is that he knows he cannot have his will. He cannot have, you know, his will cannot possibly have its way, and so he can never have what he would like to have. Because, one way or the, whatever betide, those days are gone. Victory or defeat are equally disastrous to him because of what, where his heart is set and what his desire is. And his desire is to have things remain the same, but it's not just a, a matter of sameness, right? He wants to be lord of this city in peace and to leave my chair to a son after me. And then that writer about the wizard's pupil, right? Um, he will not have life diminished, nor love halved, nor honor abated. He's not talking about defeat anymore, right? He's not talking about slavery. He's not talking about, he's not talking about being overcome by Sauron. He's talking about victory here. He would feel that 
if Aragorn returns and the king comes back, that his life would be diminished, his love would be had, the love of him would be halved, and his honor would be abated. He he won't have that. He won't that have that kind of halfway life. So one way or another, Denethor concludes he's screwed. Right. Notice the reaction. One of the things that I find most moving about this passage is the flame in Denethor's eyes as he draws a knife and strides over towards Faramir. Um, Surely, surely in all of this, the one redeeming factor, the one thing which so humanizes Denethor's sufferings here, are his love for his son and his remorse over how he treated him. I sent my son away unthanked, unblessed, into needless peril. Right? He knows... um, how wrongly he has treated Faramir. And he regrets it. And he loves his son. And he believes his son is dying. And that's what has driven him over the edge, right? That's what's driven him over the edge. So at least, okay, you know, Denethor, he's missing the boat in a whole bunch of ways, but at least he loves his son, right? Why is he drawing a knife on his son? And, you know, like, what is it about what Gandalf says that makes him want to go over and stab Faramir right in the chest, right? Um, you know, in, in this sort of horrible, um, you know, non-comical version of the... Uh, again, I, sorry, I have in my head Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, I, I, my, uh, my wife and I just went to see the Spamalot musical this weekend, so I've got it in my head. Of course, I'm thinking of the I'm not quite dead scene. Um, and it's almost, it was Denethor is again enacting this tragic, not comical version of that. You know, this, you know, here he's saying, it's not possible to heal my son. You know, my son will never possibly recover. And Gandalf's like, no, 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 actually, I think we could make him better. And Denethor is like, I'm going to, you know, pulls out a knife. Like, no, really, he can't get better. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like, man. Um, uh, <laughs> why? Why is he drawing a knife on him? Why is he drawing a knife on his son? What is it that pushes him to do that? Again, I'm not suggesting, I don't mean to suggest, that Denethor doesn't really love Faramir. Um, why is it, again, at what words is it? At the least, you shall not rob your son of his choice while his death is still in doubt. Why does that tick Denethor off so much? Why does that make him want to... Ca- oh, his death is in doubt? Oh, yeah, I'll fix that. Why? Why, why, why? What do you think? Kay says, you shall not infuriate him. I agree. There is an element of that. And you notice how puerile that begins to look. How almost, how almost infantile, right? Don't, don't tell me I can't do it, right? If you tell me I can't do it, I'm going to do it, right? Um, there's a, there's, there's, there, 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 there begins to be almost a, 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 a kind of simplicity to that kind of, to the, the kind of pride that he's feeling there. Um, I think Sarah and Rebecca are really putting their, um, uh, are really putting their finger on it here. Um, Sarah King says, Is he afraid Faramir would not love him enough to follow him into death? That he would remain a wizard's pupil? Yeah. Um, Rebecca asks, Is he afraid that Faramir would choose to abandon him? Yeah. He wants to rob his son of his choice. Why? Because he's afraid of the choice that his son might make. Right? 
In fact, he believes, with his comments about wizard's pupils, that Faramir's already made his choice. And Faramir, one of the objections that he made, one of the problems he was obviously having with Faramir back, you know, when Faramir was conscious and everything, um, was that Faramir, Faramir's will was not lined with his. He did not please his father. Um, he wanted to please Gandalf instead. At least that's how that's how Denethor chose to interpret Faramir's actions. Um, uh, yeah, Carolyn uh, Morehouse says, Denethor's vision is different than Faramir's whom he insults. Denethor wants the old days, but Faramir wants more than that. The old days, but reinvigorated. Yeah, Carolyn, it's a fascinating contrast. Contrast what Denethor just said about what he would want and Faramir's speech. He says that he, uh, you know, he, he answers the question too. The same question Gandalf just asked. What would you have if your will could have its way? He says, yeah, I would, I would, I would have Minas Tirith restored to glory, right? Loved, you know, for her ancientry, for her beauty, for her, for her present wisdom. He describes, gives a whole paragraph about what he would have if his will could have its way. And it's like what Denethor says, but it's very different. One difference about it is that you're right, Carolyn, that it's it's reinvigorated. It's a vision of Minas Tirith that looks both forward as well as backwards, right? He doesn't just want a hopeless return to the past or a, 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 a sort of a retention of the status quo. Um, he wants he wants Minas Tirith to grow into a new glory to uh, to return to the glory of old. But again, to return to the glory of old is a forward-looking thing, not just a backward-looking thing. Right? Faramir looks in both directions. The other, of course, is that Faramir is not the protagonist of his vision of what he could have if his will could have its way. Right? Denethor, um, Denethor's answer to that question is, let me tell you about me, right? And what I, I would be the lord of this city in peace. The fact that the city is in peace is sort of logically secondary to his being the lord of it, Right? Um, the fact that it is in peace has something to do with the conditions under which he would be the lord of it, um, but not really about the city itself. Just as leaving his chair to a son after him is less about the son than about the son's loyalty to him, right? Who would be his own master, he says. So I would want him to be independent, so long as he was very obedient to me, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and Noam says Denethor doesn't look to the past, but only to the present. Yes, I say he's looking backwards. That's a very good. Um, that's a very good uh, 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 correction, Noam. He is looking back. I mean, look, looking back to the to the last few decades, um, but not to. That's not where Faramir looks, right? Faramir looks to the ancient past and to the future that he hopes would still come. Um, yeah, as Tom says, Faramir wants the king to return. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, as, as Andrew points out, uh, he shouldn't be thinking as a lord, but as a steward. Uh, and again, the, 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 what the, sort of the, the definition of steward is, is to take care of something that belongs to somebody else, right, that isn't yours. Um, being a steward is exactly about not having mastery, having authority. Stewards have authority. That's one of the definitions of the role as well. 
you have authority, a delegated authority, over something that, you know, as a caretaker of something else. Um, and that's, of course, exactly what Gandalf is reminding him of, um, talking about his stewardship. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Timothy asks a good but a complicated question, Timothy. Uh, is it fair to ask what made Denethor into this kind of bitter and self-absorbed personality? Is it just a given? Well, we, I mean, in one sense, of course, it's just a given in that. Of course, we, we, we've, we've not seen him before that. Um, we're told some things which are interesting in the appendices, like about the death of his wife, for instance. Um, but, you know, I don't really want to put Denethor on the couch too much there when we have so little direct evidence to go on. Um, but um, what I think we can see is Denethor as a... You know, Tolkien presents us with a number of different scenarios. Um, the Palantir becomes a really interesting symbol. <sighs> Because you, if you know me well, you know I always hesitate to use the word symbol, because and that's actually not even precisely what I mean here. Um, it becomes a, a very interesting. I almost want to say tag, actually, like you know, tag in the HTML sense. That is, uh, the we look at the characters who are connected by the Palantir, um, by the Palantiri. Um, we look at Saruman. We look at Aragorn. We look at Denethor. We look even at Gandalf and his temptation to look in it and his decision not to, uh, or a sort of his relief that he, um, you know, that he isn't going to. Um, and the way that they respond... But again, it's not just about how they handle the Palantiri itself. I'm not, I'm not thinking about that. Just the way that that... Um, that the fact that each one of those people held a Palantir, which is something which would give them power, power that they didn't have, that they don't have of their own. Um, it, uh, it gives them resources. What do they do with those resources? How do they use them? What is the effect on them of it? Um, it it's like a mini-version, almost, of the ring and what the ring does. Um, and I think, you know, when we compare them... So, Timothy, for me, that's what I do with it. Rather than trying to delve into the psychological history of Denethor of which we have no more than very um, uh, very sketchy um, uh, very sketchy uh, 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 details um, we I, 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 it seems to me more fruitful to kind of put him look at the choices that he makes and to compare it with others who are in similar kinds of position also Mark going back to your excellent question that I didn't answer before um Comparing him also to Theoden, of course, as Denethor and Theoden are also, you know, very obvious um, differences. There, the two both, you know, in one day, Gondor and uh, Rohan are deprived of their lords, right? As he has pointed out. Um, yeah, they are, uh, and boy, <clears throat> what a contrast do their two deaths make, right? And and again, it's a contrast that I I cannot um, resist making. Um, Yeah, Steve says, what would have happened had Denethor met Thorongil within the story? Um, yeah, and especially, Steve, the Thorongil story, um, 
in the appendices, uh, in Appendix A. I love the way that it corresponds with what happens in The Return of the King. Um, the way that, uh, you know, sort of the, the parallel of the, the battle, winning the battle down in the south. Um, Aragorn didn't come back to Minas Tirith from that battle, right? On purpose. Now he is coming. <laughs> now he wins another victory in, uh, you know, at the ships in the south and comes back. Um, and uh, this time, well, from Denethor's perspective, it's much worse than before, right? Um, what would have happened? Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Brother Luke is suggesting a hashtag Palantir. Yeah, that's uh, um, that's more like what I was thinking of. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Good. Well, there's more that we could say about this. Um, but I'm running out of time, so let me move on to one last point, which is Pippin's moment of sympathy at the end of chapter 10. Pippin had bowed, crushed with horror, when he heard Gandalf reject the terms and doom Frodo to the torment of the tower, but he had mastered himself, and now he stood beside Baragond in the front rank of Gondor with Imrahil's men, for it seemed to him best to die soon and leave the bitter story of his life since all was in ruin. I wish Mary was here, he heard himself saying, and quick thoughts raced through his mind, even as he watched the enemy come charging to the assault. Well, well, now at any rate I understand poor Denethor a little better. We might die together, Mary and I, and since die we must, why not? Well, as he is not here, I hope he'll find an easier end, but now I must do my best. He drew his sword and looked at it, and the intertwining shapes of red and gold, and the flowing characters of Numenor glinted like fire upon the blade. This was made for just such an hour, he thought. If only I could smite that foul messenger with it, then almost I should draw level with old Mary. Well, I'll smite some of this beastly brood before the end. I wish I could see cool sunlight and green grass again. Compare and contrast. Right? Compare and contrast. Pippin feels a similarity with Denethor, right? Now, at any rate, I understand poor Denethor a little better. And it's clear that at the time, Pippin didn't understand him at all, right? Um, you know, um, that scene, which I was tempted to talk about, but I knew we wouldn't have time, um, remember, was when uh, he's first weeping, and Pippin says, Do not weep, Lord, right? He may yet get well. There's there's a kind of um, confusion, you know, and he's like, I don't, I don't, you're mourning as if he's dead. He's, he's not dead, right? Um Pippin seems to not really get it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Alyssa says, Pippin doesn't understand Denethor as well as he thinks. Smiting some of this beastly brood before the end makes all the difference. Exactly, exactly. Maybe he now can imagine a little bit better what led Denethor to do what he did. But that certainly doesn't mean that he's recapitulating Denethor's decisions, right? Um, uh, the fact that he ends that speech, um, we might die together since die we must, why not? But now I must do my best. Exactly what Denethor did not say, right? Um, exactly. Tom was just pointing out the same thing. Um, uh, Pippin stands in the front rank and fights like Denethor should have done, absolutely. Um <clears throat> Yeah, um, 
Rebecca says, this was made for just such an hour is very telling. He's able to, to see past his own part in the story as Denethor could not. Um, that's a fascinating observation, Rebecca, and I had been thinking about the sword in that the sword in that sense. But yeah, you're right. There's a very Sam there's a very Sam Gamgean uh, sense there in which Pippin sees I'm just part of a bigger story here, right? Um, I am I am a character. This this blade, not really a sword, it's a knife. But anyway, this this blade that I am holding um, was made by you know a Numenorian for battles like this, has been wielded by others before me. Um, it's for hours like this that this was made. There is a sense almost of destiny there, right? Um, he's not, Pippin is not saying, this is my hour, but it's the sword's hour anyway. Um, but, 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 Rebecca, I think that your insight is a really good one. Um, that he, uh, he sees, he sees that he's only a small part of a bigger thing. And he wants to, and he is determined to play his part as well as he can. Um, if only I could smite that foul messenger with it, I might draw level with old Mary. Mary is a good has a, is a is a good song already. Um, yeah, yeah, good. As Rebecca points, I know it's not his hour exactly, exactly. Um, and Rebecca also points out um, what I think is a really important point here, and and, uh, and one that I. Um, that I keep coming back to is not only his the last sentence of that second paragraph there, but now I must do my best. Um, but the the last sentence of the third paragraph, I wish I could see cool sunlight and green grass again. If Denethor could even gotten as far as that, that would have been something, right? Um, but he abdicated not only his position as steward, thinking of himself as lord. Um, and his, you know, his his responsibility to lead the, uh, you know, his his city in, in in into battle. Not only did he abdicate that, he abdicated even the wish to see cool sunlight and green grass again, right? Um, and the fact that that is Pippin's last thought, that even that desire, even that desire, while recognizing that it isn't going to happen, believing that it isn't going to happen, he believes that. He believes that they're going to die, um, very as firmly as Denethor did. Um, because he believes that Frodo has been taken, he's seen evidence, right? Frodo has been captured, um, or perhaps his errand was one that you did not wish to fail. It has, right? And Pippin buys it. Um, if one thinks about it carefully, one has good reason to believe that that is not, in fact, the case. But Pippin clearly buys it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Rachel says, uh, Denethor's version is, since I can't see cool sunlight and green grass again, let it all wither, right? Set it all on fire. Let it be destroyed. I don't care. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's that's the, the mentality that leads you to... Um, pick up the knife and go for Faramir, right? Um, and we talked, you know, there's more going on there as we talked about it, but again, um, you know, he, uh, yeah. Um, 
Carolyn points out that Pippin wants Merry with him in comradeship, uh, rather than forcing a choice on him as Denethor does to Faramir. Yeah, exactly. Good. It's, that is, um, Carolyn, that, that would be the good illustration, right? When I was talking about how somebody could say, let us, let us go to meet death side by side. That somebody could say that in a way that wasn't horrible in the way that it was for Denethor. Um, that wouldn't just be murdering your kin to ease your own death. Yeah, Pippin and Merry. There you go. Pippin is saying it in that way, right? Um, if since we both have to die, it would be nice to die together, side by side. But at least his last thought is a is a a generous one, a kind one towards Mary. Right? I hope he finds an easier end. Um, yeah, and as Katie Salvatore points out, uh, Pippin thinks he's going to die, but instead of despairing, he wants it to be worth something. Yeah, he 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 wants to accomplish something, even in his death. Um, yeah, good. Oh, Rebecca, excellent. Uh, reminding me of, uh, yeah, I'm glad you're here with me, Sam, here at the end of all things. Frodo and Sam appreciate that facing death together, right? There is comfort in that. And again, that's what, that's uh, the point that Gandalf was making to Denethor there at the beginning. Um, he is not finding comfort or seeking comfort. Um, or if he is, it's uh, it's this perversion of that, right? Murdering your kin to ease your own death. Taking comfort, in a sense. Okay. I'm totally going to get to the changing wind today. <laughs> I'm not going to put it off for another class. Let's go back to hope. What goes on at the Battle of Pelennor Field? I want to look at this wind and see how it is talked about here. Um... The Wind of Gandalf's Hope, as Denethor calls it. "'Do you remember the wild man's words, Lord?' said another. "'I live upon the open wold in days of peace. Weedfara is my name, and to me also the air brings messages. Already the wind is turning. There comes a breath out of the south. There's a sea tang in it, faint though it be. The morning will bring new things. Above the reek it will be dawn when you pass the wall.' If you speak truly, Weedfara, then may you live beyond this day in years of blessedness, said Theoden. Um, I didn't quote, um, but I find it really fascinating, what Khan Bure Khan says about, uh, the, about, the, about the darkness. Um, he speaks of the breaking up of the darkness as if it will be caused by the attack of the Rohirrim. He lays it upon them. He is going to help them on condition that they will agree to go and drive away the darkness with bright iron. He says this twice, right? Um, as if by their attack they're going to drive the darkness away and let the sun come out. That isn't exactly what happens. This, the darkness breaks up because of the wind from the south. Do you remember the wild man's words? You know, the one that says wind is changing, is presumably what Weedfara is remembering, the very last thing that Han Khan says. Um, wind is changing. Yeah, yeah, the wind is changing. Um, and I love the line, above the reek, it will be dawn when you pass the wall. Notice Weedfara doesn't necessarily say, hey, something's going to come out. It's, it's, the darkness is breaking up. Um, Widfara is not saying, day shall come again. What Widfara is saying, day's going to come. Uh, day's almost here. 
whether the reek is there or not, above the reek, it will be dawn when you pass the wall. The morning will bring new things. Um, and morning it is. And morning it will be, no matter what happens. And of course, we should think back to the Battle of Helm's Deep and the significance of the coming of the dawn. Here, we have Theoden taking his next step, right? Before, in the darkness before the dawn, he doubted. And he had to be resolute through that darkness, uh, greeting the dawn when it comes. Now he's got to do the same thing, except he can't see the dawn. Right? It's still going to be dark. Um, and yet, there's this wind from the south, the wind of Gandalf's hope, which Denethor accuses of cheating him. Theoden's charge. With that he seized a great horn from Guthlaf, his banner-bearer, and he blew such a blast upon it that it burst asunder, and straightway all the horns in the host were lifted up in music, and the blowing of the horns of Rohan in that hour was like a storm upon the plain and a thunder in the mountains. Ride now! Ride now! Ride to Gondor! Can I just say, before I get into the next paragraph, I love how, at times... Tolkien imitated... He had such a good ear for the sound of words. You'll notice how the the cry of Theoden, the battle cry of Theoden, emulates the sound. It sounds like a horn. Ride now! Ride now! Ride to Gondor! Boop, boop. And you, you, you can actually... I, I can, like, give me a bugle, I could play that, actually. Um, just like the... Uh, the, the um, the horn cry of Buckland also. Fear, fire, foes, awake! Fire, foes, awake! I could play that on a, on, on a bugle, too. Right? Um, uh, the way that he gives words to these... Uh, the way that he gives words to the sound of horns and... Um, and... Uh, and within a, a, the, the battle cry here allows us to hear the sound of the horns. Really cool. Um... Mark says that Weedfara anticipates the rooster. Exactly. Weedfara and the rooster both have exactly the same idea. Um, Suddenly the king cried to Snowmane, and the horse sprang away. Behind him his banner blew in the wind, white horse upon a field of green, but he outpaced it. After him thundered the knights of his house, and he was ever before them. Eomir rode there, the white horse tail on his helm floating in his speed, and the front of the first Aorid roared like a breaker foaming to the shore, but Theoden could not be overtaken. Fay he seemed, or the battle fury of his fathers ran like new fire in his veins, and he was borne up on Snowmane like a god of old, even as Orome the Great in the Battle of the Valar when the world was young. His golden shield was uncovered, and lo, it shone like an image of the sun, and the grass flamed into green about the white feet of his steed. For morning came, morning and a wind from the sea, and darkness was removed, and the hosts of Mordor wailed, and terror took them, and they fled, and died, and the hoofs of wrath rode over them. And then all the host of Rohan burst into song, and they sang as they slew, for the joy of battle was on them, and the sound of their singing that was fair and terrible came even to the city. I mostly made it through that paragraph. Um, What I want to point out, there's much that we could say about this paragraph. Um, And I can probably do it without crying, but um, the main thing I wanted to talk about was the wind and the coming of the light. 
His golden shield was uncovered, and lo, it shone like an image of the sun, and the grass flamed into green about the white feet of his steed. It looks like the sunlight is coming forth from Theoden, like he is actually emitting light um, in the darkness, that he has brought light in this almost literalization of the of the the presumably figurative speech that Han Rui Han was using. He's driving away the darkness with bright, with bright iron, right? Um, but notice how the next sentence, for morning came, morning and a wind from the sea. Actually, I, what seems really to be happening is that the wind at this moment is breaking up the cloud cover, you know, the, the pall of cloud that Sauron, you know, of, 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 of gloom that Sauron has spread over, and, uh, and the sun is shining through. But they're both true. It would be like asking, in the second sentence of that paragraph, what banner, or what wind, rather, is his banner flying in? The wind from the south? that has been sent from the sea and is wafting Aragorn up to the city just in time and is breaking up the clouds and the and the gloom up above? Is it that wind that his banner is blowing in? Or is it the wind of his own charge, the wind of his own speed as he rides? Yeah, yeah, of course. He's charging south into that wind. Um, both the wind of his own charge and the wind from the sea are both both blowing his banner. Um, has he driven away the darkness with bright iron? Is his is his shield radiating light? Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Um, uh, he's because uh, the the this the sun is shining now again. Both both are happening. Um, we see both of them being combined. This. I take this as another instance, and to me, a quite beautiful instance of Tolkien weaving together these ideas of, you know, we talked about this in the Two Towers course quite a lot, the role of of people's choice and of destiny, um, and when people, as many people do at various points, show faith, faith in how things will turn out, faith in what is going to happen, we certainly see Gandalf and Aragorn showing that quite a lot here in these latter sections. Um, but uh, the fact that there is a script, you know, you know, it, it would be, you know, to me, it's all, it's like asking, um, is the Battle of Pelennor Field won by supernatural intervention? Or by the choices and actions, and you know, heroic actions of the people involved. Again, to me, it's the same question as the question about the wind in Theoden's banner, right? Both, both the same, both at the same time, and neither one of them reducing the impact of the other. Um, this is, uh, um, yeah, yeah. This is. Uh, Yeah. Um,
I often, th- this is why I often find it really difficult when, like, I'm doing a Q&A or something and people want to ask about, you know, theism and the Lord of the Rings and, you know, why does Tolkien never depict, you know, any kind of supernatural presence? And I'm like, he does. Well, it's hard to point to. I believe very much that he does. I think that we can clearly see patterns. I think the wind from the sea, um, we have lots of reasons to uh, associate that with a catastrophic intervention um, that is beyond the control of any of the direct players. Gandalf is not summoning the wind from the south. Um, that is a gift. But um, but it doesn't look like... <laughs> Tom says, if wind you call it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but again, it's the way that Tolkien weaves these things together um, is so... Uh, it, it's so intricate, the choice, the, the, the relationship between the choice of the people involved um, and the intervention, if you want to use that word, it's a very clumsy word, um, that it's hard to separate the two of them. And it's easy not to think about one or the other, um, especially if you are uh, sort of biased to either find or not find uh, one or the other um, in these passages. All right. I gotta go. But I might as well read this first, since I'm already crying anyway. And then wonder took him, and a great joy, and he cast his sword up in the sunlight and sang as he caught it, and all eyes followed his gaze, and behold, upon the foremost ship a great standard broke, and the wind displayed it as she turned towards the Harland. There flowered a white tree, and that was for Gondor, but seven stars were about it, and a high crown above it, the signs of a lendil that no lord had borne for years beyond count. And the stars flamed in the sunlight, for they were wrought of gems by Arwen, daughter of Elrond, and the crown was bright in the morning, for it was wrought of mithril and gold. Thus came Aragorn, son of Arathorn, Elessar, Isildur's heir, out of the paths of the dead, borne upon a wind from the sea to the kingdom of Gondor, and the mirth of the Rohirrim was a torrent of laughter and a flashing of swords, and the joy and wonder of the city was a music of trumpets and a ringing of bells. But the hosts of Mordor were seized with bewilderment, and a great wizardry it seemed to them, that their own ships should be filled with their foes, and a black dread fell on them, knowing that the tides of fate had turned against them, and their doom was at hand. That's about all I have to say today. Um, One small comment I'll make about it, and it's a a sort of a pitifully inadequate comment, but um, notice the repetition of the behold. We got the behold with the standard before, and now we get the behold again. Um, Before... It wasn't us beholding it. We said behold, but it wasn't us that was beholding it, right? We, it, we it, The standard wasn't being shown to us. Now we're getting the behold, the reveal to us as well. Um, and I love that 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 repetition. Um, okay, yeah. You see, Ed, look, I, I did just what you wanted. Um... Just I'll just read the passage out and leave it, because <laughs> I have uh, 
Uh, it's not that I have nothing to add, but anyway, I will leave it there, and I should go and feed my children. Um, one question that um, Steve asks is an excellent question, which I shan't answer, um, but I want to acknowledge. Steve uh, Holly asks, um, "What about you know, Tolkien's combat experience?" Uh, versus his portrayal of combat. Um, how do we understand this? It's exactly passages like this that seem... So, it's people who know nothing about Tolkien's life read passages like this and say, well, there's someone who's never been in a real war, right? Well, not so, actually. Um, so, what do we make of that? More. More. Um, We'll talk about that later. Um, I actually wanted to... Uh, uh, I had some passages from last time. My, like, uh, ridiculous slides numbered 12 through 14, I think, in the last class, which we didn't get to, didn't get halfway to, uh, were about that. Um, and, uh, Steve, I do plan to come back to that. Because um, that, that, that is a question that I actually I find very interesting um, and really good to think about uh, in these passages. But... Anyway, not today, but I will come back to that. Uh, so thanks very much, Steve. Thanks, everybody, for joining uh, for joining me. Next time, we will join Sam and Frodo in Mordor as we begin uh, as we begin book uh, book six. And we're not going to totally leave all this stuff behind. I'll probably have some more things that I want to say at the beginning, but we will, darn it, get to Frodo and Sam uh, next week as well. So thanks very much, everybody. Bye now.